This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to the second episode of our To Furlough and Beyond podcast series. As global pandemic recovery begins, we look at some of the key issues businesses face as they roll out their return to work plans. In this episode, Emma Bartlett, Bryony Richards and Connie Berry discuss the flexible furlough and what businesses should be thinking about as they consider future furlough options. Thanks, Chantal. My name is Emma Bartlett and I'm a partner in our employment team and I'm joined today by my colleagues Bryony Richards and Connie Berry, associates in our employment team. Hi Connie, hi Bryony, how are you? Hi Emma, yeah good thank you. Hi Emma, yes we're all well here. Good to hear. Today we'll be looking at flexible furlough. Since the Chancellor's announcement on 20th March that the coronavirus job retention scheme would be introduced to help support businesses and protect jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been several updates to the various guidance notes the government has produced, as well as two Treasury directions. This has been an evolving scheme, but it is now clear it will close on 31st October. There are significant modifications to the scheme from 1st July including new flexibility to bring furloughed staff back to work on a part-time basis, allowing employers to claim under the scheme for hours not worked. Additionally, the scheme will taper from 1st August, and this will initially require employers to contribute to the cost of national insurance and pension contributions of furloughed workers. But from 1st September onwards, employers will also be required to contribute to furloughed workers' wages. One of the biggest changes to the scheme, however, is flexible furlough. Connie, can I ask you to set out what flexible furlough actually is and when it starts and who's going to be eligible, please? Yes. So as you said, Emma, from the 1st of July, employers can bring back furloughed employees on a part time basis. And this can be on any work pattern um, and the employer can still be able to claim the grant for the hours not worked that the employee would normally have worked. For example, an employee could work on Monday and Tuesday and then be furloughed from Wednesday to Friday. And the cap on the furlough grant, which has been in place so far, would be then proportionally reduced to the hours not worked. In order to qualify for the scheme, there is one big caveat in that the employees, as a general rule, have to have been furloughed before. So that would mean they would have to have been furloughed between 19th March and the 30th of June for at least three consecutive weeks. You can't, as an employer, bring in a new employee to the furlough scheme cold. Generally speaking, the same exceptions apply as applied during the previous full furlough scheme. So any employees who have not been furloughed for three consecutive weeks between the 1st of March and 30th of June, any employees hired after the 19th of March 2020, or who haven't had an RTI submission made in respect of them before the 19th of March, or any self-employed or workers not on PAYE schemes cannot be furloughed under the flexible furlough scheme. So the only new entrance to the scheme allowed now would be parents returning from some sort of parental leave, is that right? Yes, that is one of the, the sort of narrow exceptions. So it would be anyone who had been on any form of parental leave, for example, maternity leave. However, this would only apply if the employer has furloughed other employees in the full furlough period, i.e. between the 1st of March and the 30th of June. And there are other sort of very narrow exceptions, such as military reservists. But for the vast majority of employees, it should be those who have already been furloughed on a full time basis so far. Does the employer need a new agreement to furlough staff flexibly and should that be documented? 
Yes. So as we sort of know, in the previous edition of the scheme, the Treasury direction stated that a furlough agreement must specify the terms and conditions on which the employee will cease or work and should be incorporated into the employment contract expressly or impliedly. However, so there may be an, an agreement in place uh, for the vast majority of people moving to this flexible furlough scheme. However, this is obviously a new variation of contract. So under the general principles of that direction, employers would need to agree a further flexible furlough arrangement with the employee. Now, to date, um, after some reiterations of the guidance, the fully furloughed employees have not needed to provide a written response to the agreement, i.e. provide a written consent. But the guidance doesn't refer to this specifically in relation to flexibly furloughed employees. And it isn't clear at this point whether that is an intentional difference. But until this is clarified, employers should obtain and keep a record of the written consent to the arrangement from the flexibly furloughed employees. Is there a time limit that they should adhere to for keeping records of that agreement? Yes, so that should be kept for five years and those records should uh, record the number of hours the employees have worked and the number of hours they were furloughed, which will obviously be crucial for making the claim to HMRC for the grant under the scheme as well. So the calculation and claim for flexibly furloughed employees is quite complicated. And I believe Bryony Richards is now going to take us through that calculation. Thanks, Emma. It's not going to look straightforward to begin with. And I think we're all going to be getting out our calculators and Excel spreadsheets. But once you've got your first few calculations out of the way, it isn't actually that complicated. And I promise it will you will get the hang of it. And rest assured that there is a calculator on HMRC. So if everything I'm about to say sounds like gibberish, just refer to the calculator and use that if you can. Also, the HMRC website has lots of examples um, to help you with these calculations. So, So don't worry. So there's essentially three steps. The first step you want to do is to look at how many hours your employee would usually work in the period for which you're claiming. So say you're claiming for the month of August, we need to work out what your employees' usual working hours would be if they'd worked for August in their usual contracted way. Now, obviously, this will look a little bit different depending on whether the individual has fixed contractual hours or whether they have variable hours. So let's work on the first um, circumstance first. So let's say somebody has fixed contractual hours. The way that the government have decided we're going to do this is we're not going to think about what days of the week someone works or anything like that. Because actually, month on month, the number of different days varies. So, for example, in August, we've got five Mondays, but only four Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, etc. So we're just going to think about averages. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off by looking at the hours that the employee was contracted to work for their last pay period before the 19th of March. So before furlough began, what were they contracted to work? and look at the period over which these hours are defined. So for most of us, this is going to be a week. We're going to be contracted to work, say, 40 hours a week or 37 hours a week. So we're going to take the number of hours and we're going to divide it by the number of calendar days, not working days, in that period. So if you're contracted it for hours over a week, you're going to divide by seven. If you're contracted for hours over a fortnight, 14, etc. We're then going to multiply the answer we get by the number of calendar days in the claim period, so 31 days in August. For example, if you have an employee who was contracted to work 37 hours per week before furlough, 
you want to take the number 37 and divide it by seven for the seven days in a week. And then you're going to multiply it by the number of days for the claim period. So if we're claiming for August, we're going to do 37 divided by seven multiplied by 31, which gives us 163.8 hours. Now, we're not going to worry about the decimals here. Um, the government have said that we should round up to the nearest whole number. So we'll round up 163.8 to 164 hours. And that will be our employees' usual hours for the month of August. So what about somebody who doesn't have contracted regular hours? Well, that's a little bit different. You're just going to look back at what they worked last year. So you're going to have a look at, for the tax year 2019 to 2020, what were their average number of hours? You're then also going to look at the corresponding pay period for last year. So if we're claiming for August, we'll have a look at what they earned in August. And we take the higher of those two figures. So either to the higher of either their average number of hours worked that year or the corresponding calendar period. So that's step one. Um, so this is our usual hours. We're then going to have a look at how many hours they're actually going to be working for this particular year. So in August this year, when we're on flexible furlough, how many hours are we working? Now, it's important that that person is paid in the usual way for those days worked. So say they're working for 80 hours this August. What you want to do is take their usual monthly salary, multiply it by 80 for those 80 hours worked, then divide the whole thing by 164. So for people like me who like fractions, that's the same as multiplying the monthly salary by 80 over 164. And that's the proportion of their monthly pay that we can allocate to the time that they're actually spent working. And they'll receive that salary in the usual way, subject to the usual taxes and national insurance. Now we move on to the furlough portion. So if our individual is working for 80 of their usual 164 hours, that means there are 84 hours left that they would usually work, but they're now going to be furloughed for. So how are we claiming for those 84 hours? Well, first, you want to consider the cap. It's easiest to consider this first. And realistically, because these people have already been furloughed, generally speaking, you're going to know whether they're above the cap or not. But just have a look at 80 percent of their usual salary. And if it's higher than the cap, you're going to use the cap, which is currently £2,500 a month or £576.92 a week. And HMRC does set out daily limits as well. Or if 80% of their salary is lower than that cap, that's the figure you're going to work with. We then need to prorate it. So we need to multiply it by fraction again. So because we've already taken the 80 hours we're working, we're now looking at the 84 that were furloughed. So you want to multiply that salary figure, whether it's the cap or the 80 percent, by 84 over 164. Or alternatively, you can think about that as multiplying it by the furloughed hours, then divide it by the total hours. And that gives you the minimum amount that they can be paid under the furlough scheme. Now, of course, employers may wish to top that up and they may have well have been doing that already. But, but that's your minimum. Again, I know that this sounds like a lot and I've just said a lot of different numbers, but please do look at the government guidance and use the calculator where you can. And the beauty of a podcast is you can just listen to it again. Is there anything an employer can do if they make a mistake in their calculations? 
Yes, and that's one really good thing. We can all rest assured that if you do have a look back over your figures, which you should be keeping a careful record of and realise you've made a mistake, please don't panic. Um, the government are aware that this is complicated. And as a result, the, the latest guidance does set out what you should do if you realise you've either overclaimed or underclaimed. If you think you've overclaimed, so you've taken more money from the government than you really should have, let them know. And what they will do is they will take that overpayment off your next payment. So you don't need to pay them back um, right away. You just know that it will be taken off your next furlough payment. Or if you think you've underclaimed and you should actually be getting more money, you're going to need to contact HMRC and they may run some additional checks to make sure your calculations are accurate. But you will then be paid any extra money that you're owed. Great. Thank you. We've um, a multitude of questions routinely asked to us about furlough, and I'm going to pick up a couple now with Connie. Connie, how does holiday interact with furlough? Can you impose holiday on furlough staff? And if so, what pay are they entitled to? Yes, so it has been a very common question, um, as the original guidance made no reference to holiday. But in the updated guidance produced by the government on the 17th of April, this did change. And the guidance now makes clear that the holiday continues to accrue during furlough, as you would expect under normal principles, and employees can take the leave whilst on furlough. As regards how that's paid, the guidance says that holiday pay should be at the employee's normal rate of pay, calculated in accordance with the working time regulations 1998, and employers are obliged to top up any amounts they may be receiving under the scheme in that month to make sure that the employee is paid their normal rate of pay for any days of annual leave. Now, what amounts to normal rate of pay may vary depending on how the furlough agreement has been put in place and what contractual pay reductions have been agreed, if any. Some may have permanent contractual pay reductions or the pay variation may only be for the duration of the scheme. In terms of taking holiday around this period, as obviously it's been quite difficult for some employees and it's just not been business as usual, the government has amended the working time regulations to allow a carryover of four weeks rather than full 5.6 weeks of statutory leave for the next two leave years, where it hasn't been reasonably practical for employees to take some or all of their holiday entitlement due to the pandemic. So employees do have that flexibility, but that's only where they really haven't been able to take it in the relevant leave year. Thank you. As I mentioned from the outset, the scheme is due to close on the 1st of October. Can you explain how the fellow scheme is going to be phased out? Yes, so it will start a tapering process. Obviously, there have been some changes this month with flexible furlough, but from the 1st of August this year, employees will start having to contribute to the costs of national insurance and pension contributions of furloughed workers, which to date have been, they've been able to claim under the scheme. And from the 1st of September, employers will also be required to contribute to their furloughed workers' wages. So up until the end of July, nothing will change and HMRC will pay 80% of the furloughed workers' gross monthly wages, subject to the cap of 2,500 per month. But from the 1st of August, as well as paying all the employer and pension contributions that will come into force. And then from the 1st of September, they will, employers will be required to contribute 10% of furloughed employees' wages. And then from the 1st of October, that will increase to 20% of furloughed employees' wages. So it will taper down slowly until 31st of October when it will close altogether. Now, 
The purpose of the job retention scheme is obviously to pause the employer's business whilst the impact of COVID-19 continues through the economy. But Bryony, could you just run us through if an employer is not in a position to bring staff back into the workplace, can they start redundancy consultation with fellow staff now? And can they dismiss them before the scheme closes? Or can they only be dismissed at the end of the scheme? Yeah, thanks, Emma. In short, the answer is to all of that is yes. Uh, so if an employer is proposing to make redundant 20 or more people, they can and in fact must start collective consultation as soon as those proposals arise, regardless of whether those employees are on furlough at the moment. Even if collective consultation duties don't arise, employers should still start individual consultations as soon as they can to have the best chance of making sure that any dismissals they may make are reasonable and, and that they've treated those employees fairly. We don't want to risk any claims of unfair dismissal. I'm not going to go into too much depth about this right now because I know that next week on our podcast, a few of my colleagues will be discussing redundancy during lockdown and they'll give you far more information about that then. So do tune in if this is something that's relevant to you. But in answer to your second question, there's absolutely no need to wait until the scheme ends before making any dismissals. But there are reasons why you might want to consider waiting, again, just to avoid risks of unfair dismissal claims. I've got my final question in relation to today's podcast on furlough, and that is um, one for you, Bryony. What changes have been made to the shielding guidance this week? So there have been some quite significant changes to the advice being given to those clinically vulnerable people who are currently shielding. And actually, these changes are going to come in in two tranches, the first of which is due to happen on the 6th of July, so in a couple of weeks. The government from that date will advise that people who've currently been shielding can, if they wish, meet in groups of up to six people outdoors, and that can include people from different households, but that those vulnerable people should still be maintaining strict social distancing. However, there is no need to maintain that social distancing with members of your own household. Um, so you can hug your family, provided they live in the same household as you. You can also, in line with the wider guidance for single adult households, form a support bubble with um, another household if that's something that's appropriate. Then the second tranche of changes is going to come in from the 1st of August. And from that point, the government is actually advising that shielding will be paused. So this means that individuals who've previously been shielding will essentially be treated like everybody else. However, the government are advising that you really maintain those strict social distancing standards. So really do adhere to the two metre rule and things like that where at all possible. Practically speaking, this means that if you can't work from home and it's possible for you to go to work, you can go to work as long as that business is COVID secure. Um, you can also go outside to buy food. You can go to places of worship. You can exercise while always bearing in mind those strict social distancing rules. For employers, this means that a large portion of your workforce can come back to work. However, you should be prepared that some vulnerable employees may not want to come back to work and they may argue that that's not appropriate for them. So there are some different options. If that individual is eligible for furlough, you could consider continuing to furlough them. But as Connie said, this will only apply to people who've previously been furloughed. Employers may also consider whether statutory sick pay is available. Now, this is unlikely to be available once shielding is no longer advised, but some individuals may qualify under the usual rules. Please do bear in mind that if an employee cannot work from home and they refuse to return to work, 
they do have certain protections under law um, and if their refusal to work is reasonable they can't suffer any detriment so, so do be careful there and that concludes our second podcast if you found it helpful you may be interested in our next podcast in which we will be discussing redundancy during furlough which will be recorded and published on our website next week in the meantime huge thanks to Brian and Connie for their clear and concise responses today I hope the next phase of furlough is helpful to your business. Please do not hesitate to contact either myself, Brownie or Connie directly if you have any questions. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.